This AIM Hometown Innovations podcast is sponsored by Denton's Bingham Greenbaum LLP. For more than 100 years, Denton's Bingham Greenbaum has been helping local government leaders solve a variety of issues through creative legal solutions. Our lawyers are in and of the communities they serve, and we believe in a polycentric approach that values local cultures and relationships. Our depth of experience allows us to provide counsel to municipalities on a variety of areas, including drafting ordinances and regulations, annexation, public financing solutions, and utility matters. Our lawyers are part of the world's largest law firm, and we connect talent to challenges and opportunities in more than 75 countries. We are a proud partner of AIM. Connect with us on LinkedIn, follow Denton's Bingham Greenbaum on Twitter, or visit Denton's.com to learn more. Welcome to AIM Hometown Innovations Podcast. This podcast is designed to offer insights, best practices, and innovative solutions for the challenges facing Hoosier cities and towns. Each edition will offer ideas and inspiration while showcasing the talent and commitment of Indiana's local leaders. Enjoy the program. Welcome to AIM's Hometown Innovations Podcast. I'm Matt Greller with AIM. Uh, very pleased today to be joined by Brian Tabor, uh, who heads up the Indiana Hospital Association, and Laura McCaffrey, who also works with Brian and heads up their communications efforts. Thanks for joining us to both of you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks, Matt. Uh, maybe we just start off with uh, an easy one. Brian, why don't you talk a little bit about the organization, what you do, um, how you have been working through the, the pandemic, and get some basic information out there for our membership. So thank you again. And, um, you know, appreciate our friendship and partnership, uh, you know, much, much like AIM and, and your organization, we represent the interests of, of our members statewide, uh, the hospitals from the North to the South. So uh, pretty much every hospital in the state of Indiana is a member, uh, whether they're a acute care hospital, which is kind of the community hospital you tend to think of with a blue H sign and an emergency room, but also other hospitals, behavioral health hospitals and, and specialty hospitals. Uh, so uh, from the large health systems to the rural community hospitals, they're, they're all members of IHA. We represent their interests at the General Assembly with the congressional delegation. We provide data and other services. And um, again, I, I want to thank you for the opportunity to meet with some of your leadership last year to talk about current current issues. So you know, we work with our, our fellow trade associations and leaders like yourself. Good deal. Um, obviously, you've been at the forefront of the COVID pandemic issue you know, here in Indiana over the last eight months or so. Yesterday, I know your organization put out some uh, information, recently put out some information that was alarming, I think, to say the least, and it continues to to get a little more challenging. Uh, where are we, I think, with hospitalizations right now? Where are we heading? Uh, I think you've always talked about a lag in hospitalizations and what might be coming down the road and, and how serious this is for communities around the state. Yeah, it, uh, it, it is alarming, and I, I will say right off the bat that I think the last thing that we want to do as public health advocates in our space is you know, cry wolf or say the sky is falling and, and have it not happen. Um, we already have enough issues, I think, with, um, you know, kind of the, the polarization around 
you know, COVID and other things. I mean, we we need people to just sort of look at the numbers and believe in the numbers and, and believe in the experts. So we've been very cautious about not wanting to uh, overstate the case. There's been a lot of talk about, oh, we're going to have a, a bad flu season. Will that compound the effort? We don't know that yet. We're certainly worried about it. But we we had to issue an alarming message, as you said. Uh, we had to we had to ring the bell uh, and tell everyone because we are already in uh, a near crisis state and the numbers are dire. They're very concerning. So when we put out our, our statement, hospitalizations just for COVID, there's lots of other sick patients out there with heart attacks and strokes, but just for COVID patients, hospitalizations statewide were almost a thousand. And that was uh, on October 1st. And so when we put out our press release, they had risen by 143%. That was just a few days ago. Uh, that increase from October 1st, where we were under 1,000, it's it's 200% increase. I mean, we are about to break 3,000. We probably will with today's numbers. And that is just a huge strain on the system. And while hospitals are still able to do everything they can and are doing everything they can to care for patients, whether it's COVID or other things, we, we have PPE, uh, we can treat COVID better. There are some positives. But the numbers game, these the number of patients that are seeking care right now and need care, it's just putting such a strain on the system that staff is tired and we are not able to staff all of the beds that we, we have. So when we look to the West and we see Iowa, Wisconsin, Minnesota, some of the messages coming out of there, we see words like collapse, overrun being used with the healthcare system. And that wave is already here it's crashing around us it's it's very concerning it is very concerning you know i think our members mayors council members clerk treasurers other folks that managers around the state share those same concerns and they i think almost feel a little bit paralyzed in some respects they, they don't have control over health agencies or county health departments uh, but oftentimes they have some of the largest populations and just by nature in our business People that live in cities and towns are, are by definition closer to one another, uh, which is the exact opposite of what we're trying to you know, argue for and hope for that happens around. So how can our members do a better job? How can they be partners in, in helping decrease that burden that we're seeing on hospitals around the state? Well, I, I think that an important part of as leaders in, in their communities uh, that mayors and elected officials can can lead with messaging and i'll ask laura to, to kind of share about some thoughts we have and in ways that we're trying to reach some of the the folks out there that maybe don't want to wear the mask for themselves that have have concerns but if we can get people to think about others uh and, and we're finding some success around the country with that so maybe there's some messages they could help us share but but for me i'll, I'll just say that you know, nobody wants to lock down. No one likes restrictions. But the the truth is that we do have to look at things um, like capacity in some of our, our retail and establishments just, just for a while, just to get to the other side of this. Um, and so I would just encourage uh, mayors and, and municipal officials to talk to those county health officers you may not be able to control, but if you can find out what's happening locally, Every community is different. You know, maybe in some cases the spread is happening because of you know, crowds that are 
um, formed around you know youth sports and maybe you can dial that back and just focus on on the kids uh, uh, and, and that may be uh, some messaging there but but you could look at ordinances around that or or looking at establishments in some cases we've we've heard that it isn't really the retail or entertainment establishments where they're seeing a lot of spread but if that's the case if contact tracing reveals that there's a problem in, in that community, you could target some local solutions to address that area of spread. So communities are different. There are some broad things that we know that work, those masking, social distancing. But when it comes to you know what what an elected official can do um, with with action, policy action, talking to those health officers and finding out what's going on in that local community and tailoring those interventions, uh, that's something I would suggest that everyone take a look at. Laura, would you want to talk about some of the messaging that, that we're sharing? Yeah, I would just say, you know, working and sending, working with the community and getting those messages out goes a long way. And we are working uh, kind of at the beginning phase of working with several organizations. You've seen this in Wisconsin and some other states where, you know, some of the hospital associations, the healthcare workers, the chamber, the counties, and several other groups working with the state have come together to you know, put some money together to get ads out to the local communities and talk about the importance of wearing a mask and social distancing. And with Sue's, you know, flu season right upon us, it's kind of the twindemic and that's very concerning. We haven't even hit that point yet. Um, and so you know, with Thanksgiving right around the corner, it's really critical to get those messages out in the community about you know, staying home with the folks in your household during Thanksgiving. Um, we know that's really difficult and, you know, we've all let our guard down. It's hard. All these months have gone by that we've, you know, been at home and social distance, but we really have to kind of double down right now um, to make sure that we're able to survive this next phase, um, but also that we can, you know, perhaps enjoy Christmas together if we just do these you know, take some extra cautionary um, measures right now. Or you mentioned uh, talking to your counterparts in other states around the country. Brian, you said something about that too. Are there any messages that are being utilized elsewhere that are something we haven't tried in Indiana yet or something that seems to be working that we could possibly explore at the local city town level to help take a different tack and maybe a different approach that could really make some inroads. Yeah, I think I think one thing is, um, and, and Laura, I'll talk about kind of what we heard from West Virginia. Um, and, you know, maybe you might share the focus that we're trying to put on those frontline healthcare workers. But I, I think turning the message around, we've had a lot of the messaging has been about mask up, and, and that needs to continue. As Laura said, I mean, to be clear. We know there are easy things to stop the spread and we need to, to continue those, the social distancing, hand washing. But there is a group out there that we haven't, we, the all of us in, in public health and, and uh, haven't really reached yet. And those are some folks that just don't um, wanna take those steps for whatever reasons. And so I think if we can, can remind people that there are, we need to do this now, you may not like taking all these steps, but if you don't do it, there are consequences for uh, for for yourself uh, and for others, um, I should say, you know, the the community. So in, in West Virginia, I, I've learned that uh, they've had a fairly successful campaign and just 
reaching out to people to understand if your county goes into these red category and youth sports and these things get shut down, you're taking away the ability for, for those kids to play ball, to, to do what they love. And so think about them. You may be reluctant, but if your county and you're part of that spread, maybe you're not afraid of COVID or whatever it is, um, and, and you know you should be concerned, but but just think about take those actions so that you're not taking away, you know, that that kids that kids chance, you know, the young boy or girl to to play basketball this this fall. You know, there's a lot of concerns about that because it's indoor and, and I think seasons are kind of up in the air. So your actions, even if you're not worried about the seriousness, it's going to impact those metrics. And that means things can get shut down. So just do it for the kids. Uh, and in the same way, you know, Laura, we're also urging people to do it for our healthcare heroes. Yeah, and that's the critical piece of it is, you know, we're not all seeing what these healthcare providers, these healthcare heroes are seeing on the front lines. You know, they're exhausted. They've been working day in and day out in our facilities since early March, and they've seen a lot of things we can't even imagine that they've seen. Um, you know, they're holding the hands of the patients as they take their last breath. They're working with the families and comforting them after they've lost a loved one to COVID. And those are the, the messages that we don't see behind the scenes that these caregivers are dealing with every day. And so I think that's another piece of it is to really have a, a way to highlight that so the public can see, you know, for those folks who think, you know, it's all a conspiracy or COVID doesn't exist, um, you know, they need to hear that from a caregiver. You guys have both talked about uh, the caregivers and, and how taxed they are and overworked and tired they are right now. I don't think there is a weekly update from the governor and Dr. Box that goes by where they don't talk about this sort of core of retired healthcare workers that are bringing coming back into action. We haven't heard a lot about that, but how does that work? Are there enough? Um, are we at a point where staffing is becoming a critical issue in hospitals? Uh, maybe talk a little bit about about that. We are absolutely at a at a critical point with with staffing, and when there's no significant reserve force out there outside the state. So that's why we we want to echo the call of the governor and Dr. Box for anyone out there who is a healthcare professional nurse background, nursing background, physician, uh, others um, to kind of step up and, and join that list. And you can get that information on the, the state's main coronavirus uh, webpage and, and and sign up to to help out because we, we really are, are um, at that stage where we're looking for, for everybody because this is different than the spring. This spread throughout the kind of greater Midwest is so significant that there isn't really a reserve force on the other side of the border. Hospitals in Louisville are full. Uh, the Chicago, I mean, I mentioned before the Wisconsin's and, and you know, the Michigan's and the Minnesota's. So, um, and then even in other parts of the country, they're starting to see upticks. So they're not, you know, this isn't a situation where we had in the spring where people kind of went to New York or then later went to Texas. I mean, everybody's busy all around. So we're going to have to do what we can here in the state of Indiana to find those resources, be nimble. But, you know, South Bend, Southwestern Indiana, Lafayette, Richmond, you know, Terre Haute. I mean, the, the level of community spread has been significant for a while. And frontline healthcare workers 
are exhausted, as Laura said. They're also, in some cases, with this community spread, they're getting, um, they may catch uh, COVID and, and they have to quarantine. We've also heard that, that in some cases, a lot of our healthcare professionals have needed a timeout because of the things that Laura mentioned, the, the trauma uh, and, and the strain. And so that's depleted the workforce. With schools going virtual, and we understand those decisions, um, you need to protect students and, and, and faculty, but that has an impact on staffing too, because now many frontline healthcare workers are, you know, have to juggle that. So it's kind of the perfect storm from a staffing perspective, and that is the number one concern right now. And that's, you know, just to go back to the, the messaging, if, you know, your, your members, um, you know, again, great leaders around the state can help us with that messaging to say, this is about those frontline healthcare workers, but also think about your loved ones. You need to make, you want there to be a care team ready at that door. You want there to be a hospital bed if they have a stroke, if they have a heart attack, if they have a, a car accident. And we are to the point where if these trends don't level off, you know, that access that we kind of take for granted to care 24 seven, it, you know, I, and I don't say this lightly. Right now, again, I don't want to deter anyone because we are able to care for folks. It's challenging, but we're doing it. But there is a worst case scenario out there. And that's why we need to take these steps so that we don't risk that access to healthcare for, for you, but also for your loved one in your community. So we're asking people, you know, we're all in this together. No, that's trite, but that's the message. Um, so I appreciate you, you know, helping helping us spread that. Thank you both. Uh, you know, this is an unusual conversation, I think, for us, Brian and Laura. Usually when we're talking, it's almost always about legislative issues. So maybe just wrapping up here before we, we jump off, anything in the legislature that we needed to be, need to be working collectively on to not only help the pandemic situation, but to prepare for whatever's next uh, that we can look at or anything you're expecting from a legislative standpoint? Well, it's... Uh... It's it's right around the corner, isn't it? It's it's kind of hard to believe. Uh, we're we're certainly watching other things uh, as as well. I mean, I think um, certainly the the budget is is critical, and we want to make sure that we're able to protect things like the Healthy Indiana plan. Our hospitals stepped up years ago and and pay um, what's going to be next year over 300 million dollars a year to support that along with with the tobacco tax and that's certainly one thing we're keeping an eye on right now the enrollment in the healthy indiana plan has gone from about 400,000 at this time last year to almost 600,000 right now because of the economic dislocation we have people right uh, who need need a safety net for healthcare so hip enrollment is going up and so uh, we need to make sure that that support for HIP um, is there. And uh, there is discussion about raising the tobacco tax. I know the Indiana Chamber announced that that's part of their agenda. It certainly is part of ours with the Alliance for Healthier Indiana. So we'll be pushing for that and, and hopefully put some of that money into things like HIP um, and public health. Because the, what I will also say is what we have right around the corner, and I think we can turn this corner. There are lights at the end of the tunnel there's therapeutics like the one lily's producing there's a vaccine but we're going to have to have a strong public health system and strong hospitals to help deliver that vaccine across the community so um, we're, we're going to be watching the budget very closely 
I would just add that um, we will be advocating to make some of those telehealth flexibilities permanent that we've seen, uh, you know, during the emergency order, and we want to continue those. That's been kind of one of the few bright spots of this time, but it's been, um, you know, extremely helpful and uh, really helped improve access in Indiana. So we want to continue those telehealth flexibilities. Thank you uh, to both of you for joining us and spreading the, the message of working on this together. It's obviously very important. Appreciate Brian and Laura, both of you joining us and uh, good luck in your work with the hospitals moving forward. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Yeah, thanks so much. Thanks so much to all of you. This AIM Hometown Innovations podcast was sponsored by Denton's Bingham Greenbaum, LLP.